today. Uh, I'm excited. We're going to be looking in Colossians chapter 2, and I want to share with you a message this morning uh, just simply entitled, Grow Strong. And how many of you recognize that one of the most critical ingredients or critical elements of the Christian life is that we continue to grow? Uh, One of the greatest challenges that faces us as Christians is sometimes we'll grow, we'll go to a place of complacency where we'll begin to get really comfortable in our Christianity. And one of the challenges that we have to make sure that we are addressing in our lives as believers uh, is that uh, if you've been saved for a little while, uh, it's easy to move into a place where you actually begin to live and minister your Christianity out of a place of memory instead of out of a place of intimacy with God. And if you're not careful, you'll just do what you've always done because that's, always, that's what you always did. And the reality is, is that we're in this life-giving thing called Christianity that is a relationship with God, and God is calling us into a place of intimacy with Him. And just as many of you that are in this room today, if you're married, any married folks in the house today? All right, awesome, praise God. Brother Rod and Mary were just here last service, and they're married, they've been married for 61 years, and uh, when you listen to them talk, you realize they're probably still figuring it out, right? Uh, Kelly and I are going on 30 years, and we're still figuring out. Why? Because when you you're in a relationships, uh, relationships change, relationships grow, relationships hopefully mature and get stronger and better. But the reality is, is you cannot continue to do what you've always done and expect to get new results. And so part of what we want to talk about today is really just kind of four ingredients to spiritual growth, four simple things we can apply to our lives on a daily basis to keep us moving and growing and stretching and becoming what God has called us to be. Because it really is an exciting thing to live for Jesus, amen? And there's nothing like living the Christian life. So Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong. You'll say it with me, then your faith will what? And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And then your faith will grow strong. How many of you understand? We need to be growing strong in our faith. And then he says, not only are we going to grow strong in our faith, but we're going to grow strong in the truth that we have been taught in Christ Jesus. And what's exciting about growing strong in truth is the Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And what's empowering about the truth is not only does the truth of Jesus Christ set me free, but the truth of Jesus Christ empowers me to bring freedom to other people. Because how many of you understand that the ultimate goal of Christianity is not that you can hoard everything up that God has for you, but that you can become a person that God can work through to touch the hearts and lives of other people. And the reality is, is we have to continually and consistently be committed to growing strong in our faith and growing strong in the truth that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. Because if I ever stop growing, then I set a limit on the ministry that God can do through me. Because the moment I stop growing and advancing in my personal relationship with God is the moment that I lose my edge that enables me to minister to people and continue to help people find new freedom in Christ. So please understand today that your Christian faith is not just about you. 
It's about God working in you so that God can work through you to help other people. And everybody in this room, many of you have already experienced this, but if you've been serving God, if you've been in ministry, you've been helping other people for any amount of time, you know without a shadow of a doubt the greatest joys of your Christian faith doesn't come from what God does in you. It comes from what God does through you to see other people's lives change. And that is where the joy is, and that is where the power of God is really found in our lives. So the Apostle Paul kind of gives us four things here in Colossians 6. We're just going to kind of break down. So look at that first point on your outline. So four ingredients for spiritual growth. Number one, we have to accept Jesus as Lord. Look what he said. And now just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So the first step to spiritual growth is that you got to have spiritual life. The first step to spiritual growth is you have to have spiritual life. You have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And I just kind of laid it out like this. We accept his death as payment for our sins, and we give him lordship or literally ownership of our lives. And I want to talk about that for just a second because when we talk about Jesus is Lord, you ever heard that little phrase, right? Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10 says that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. And so it's confessing that Jesus is Lord that brings salvation. It's believing that he died on the cross for my sins. He rose again on the third day. And then confessing that Jesus is Lord that brings salvation. But I'm convinced that most of us, including myself, as American modern day Christians, we don't understand lordship. We kind of think of Jesus as being Lord, kind of like Jesus is our boss, you know. And the reality is, is we live in a culture today that if you don't like your boss, you'll just quit your job, right? If you don't like your boss, you'll just quit your job. In other words, you kind of fire your boss and go get a new one. But the reality is, in the culture that Jesus was speaking, he was living in a culture where people had slaves, and it was very common, very normal for people to have slaves. And if you were a slave, you understood that your master was your Lord, and you couldn't quit your job. And the reason you couldn't quit your job is not only was he Lord over you, but literally he owned you. And so lordship is ownership. And so what we begin to recognize is that salvation is really this great exchange. I accept Jesus' death as payment and penalty for my as payment for the penalty of sin in my life, and I give him ownership of my life. And what's exciting about that is that when I give God ownership of my life, it's under that ownership of lordship and lordship of Jesus Christ that all the good things that we talk about happen. See, if Jesus owns you, he provides for you. If Jesus owns you, he delivers you. If Jesus owns you, he saves you. If Jesus owns you, he heals you. If Jesus owns you, he guides you. If Jesus owns you, he comforts you because he takes care of his own. Right? And we have a responsibility, right? As believers, we understand, or I hope we understand, that we all have a responsibility to love everybody, right? We're supposed to love our neighbors, and we're supposed to love our enemies, so that kind of includes everybody. We're supposed to love the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. We have a responsibility to love everybody. But how many of you understand, even though you have a responsibility to love everybody, you have a specific responsibility to take care of those who belong to you? Think about it. You don't provide for every family, but you provide for your family. You don't buy school clothes for every kid, but you buy school clothes for your kids. 
You don't feed every hungry person on the planet, but you feed the hungry people that come to your house every day. And as a matter of fact, the Bible actually says this. The Bible says if a man does not provide for his own, he is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel, and he has denied the faith. So we have a responsibility to love everybody, but there is another responsibility where we have a responsibility to provide for those who belong to us. Well, here's the good news. If Jesus is Lord, he owns you. And if he owns you, he now is responsible for you. And he will provide for you, and he will protect you, and he will heal you, and he will deliver you, and he will sustain you, and he will help you, and he will guide you, and he will instruct you. Why? Because you belong to him. Let me just say it like this. Jesus' death on the cross was not just about paying the penalty for our sin. It was really about purchasing our lives. Let me, let me read with you Romans chapter 14. Verse 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul again, he says, For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. For if we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Let me stop there for a second. We belong to the Lord. That's a consistent theme in the New Testament. Paul told the Corinthian church that you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body, this thing right here, and your spirit because they both belong to God. The apostle Peter tells us, tells us that we have been redeemed. The word redeemed literally means to be bought, purchased, bought back. We have been redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So Jesus not, not only paid for our sins, he literally purchased our lives. He owns you. And when you say that, you know what? There's just a little pride thing that rises up in us. Ain't nobody going to own me. Well, let me just give you a revelation today. Everybody's owned by somebody. You're either a servant of sin or you're a servant of righteousness. You're either serving the devil or you're serving God. Everybody's owned by somebody. And the good news is if God owns you, God takes care of you. If God owns you, God saves you. If God owns you, God delivers you. If God owns you, God provides for those that are his own. How do we know who his own are? His own are the ones he owns. The Holy Spirit said this to me this week. I shared this little bit right here Tuesday night at Celebrate Recovery. He said, Keith, he said, if you're not willing to give me your life, then you can't accept my death. If you're not willing to give me your life, your life. And by life, I mean my breath, my strength, my body, my family, my money, my energy, my business, my money, my, my, my everything, my life. Right? Your life, my life. He said, if you're not willing to give me your life, you can't accept my death because I didn't just pay for your sins. I purchased your life. You belong to me. And when he said that, something just kind of shifted in my little way of thinking. And all of a sudden, I began to recognize he didn't just pay for my sins. He purchased my life. He bought this. He bought my 24-7. He bought my breath and my lungs, my dreams and my visions. He bought it all. And just this week, I was, I was in prayer, and the Holy Spirit told me this. He said, Keith, I wish you'd stop telling me how to live your life. Now, if you flip the coin, the Holy Spirit said this to me. He says, so Keith, he says, so if you want to live your life, then you're going to die by yourself. You're going to stand before God condemned, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. 
not because God didn't love you, not because Jesus didn't pay the penalty for your sin, but if you do not allow him to purchase your life, you can't accept the payment of his death because he wasn't just paying for your sins, he was purchasing your life. So think about it like this, and we're about to move on, but think about it like this. Jesus' death on the cross was not to pay your rent. It was to purchase your house. He doesn't want to just swoop in every now and then and pay your rent. He has purchased your house. He owns it. He owns you. He owns your life. He owns your future. He owns your dreams. He owns your destiny. He owns it all. And I told him to you tonight, if you're not good with God owning you, then I hope you enjoy hell. Because only when we give him our lives can we truly accept his death because his death was not just payment for our sin. It was the purchasing of our lives. I belong to him. And that truth is consistent throughout the New Testament. We belong to him. We have been bought with a price. We are not our own. He has redeemed us and reconciled us to the Father through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And look what Paul goes on to say, verse 9 there in Romans 14. He says, and Christ died and rose again for this very purpose. Here it is. He's going to sum it all up. Here's why Jesus died, and here's why Jesus rose again. Here's the purpose for it. Look what he says, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. He died and rose again to be Lord. He died and rose again so he could own you. So he could pay the penalty for your sin and purchase your life. And here's the good thing about God. He's a good, good father. And when God is Lord, you come into the kingdom. And when God is Lord, you come into the provision. And when God is Lord, you come into every good thing that he has for you. And so the first step to spiritual growth is we've got to have spiritual life. And if Jesus isn't Lord, then I'm on the outside looking in. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid the penalty for everybody's sin. And if you're willing to accept him as Lord and say, God, you can own me, I'm going to give you my life. I don't want you just to forgive me of my sins. I'm actually going to give you my life. Because that's what he purchased. That's what he paid for. And if you're willing to do that, the good news of the gospel is that he'll forgive you of your sins because he's already paid for them. And he'll receive your life and he'll give you his life instead. And the goodness of God is that God's life lived in me is better than my life lived my way any day of the week. Amen? So the first step to spiritual growth is there has to be spiritual life that comes from accepting Jesus as Lord. Amen? And how many of you understand accepting Jesus as Lord is not a once and done kind of thing? It's an everyday thing. See, because every now and then I try to take back ownership. Right? Every now and then I try to take back ownership. Every now and then, just this week, the Lord said, Keith, stop telling me how to live your life. Because it ain't my life. Do I have an option? Yeah. Do I have an opinion? Yeah. Do I have a choice? Yeah. But at the end of the day, whether I live or whether I die, I should live and die under the Lord. Because I belong to Him. And that is powerful, guys. So every day I accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at the next thing He said. He said, once, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. You must continue to follow Him. And I just kind of summed it up like this. Obedience produces discernment. 
Obedience produces discernment. I want you to see this because this is huge. Because many Christians live in a place of spiritual paralysis. They live in this place of insecurity where they lack confidence and boldness to step out in faith and follow God. And if you don't know what to do, most of the time you don't do anything. Right? And many times we get called in this place, and I talk to Christians all the time, and they are so desperate to do the will of God, but they're so afraid they're going to miss God that they don't do anything. Let me say it again. They are desperate to do the will of God, but they are afraid they're going to miss God, so they don't do anything. And they live in this place of spiritual paralysis. But if I'm going to grow in my faith, not only do I got to accept him as Lord, but I got to continue to follow him. And continuing to follow him, following him means I've got to continue to step out in faith and obedience to what I know and what he has told me to do. So look at Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Bible says this. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, many think it's Paul, say there is much more that we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain it, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. And you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. But instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot easily and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant, and look at this, and doesn't know how to do what is right. They don't know how to do what is right. They live in this place where they are caught in this this spiritual paralysis where they want to serve God, but they don't know what to do. They want to do the right thing, but they don't really know what the right thing is. And so in reality, what is happening is they are lacking the discernment and the ability to recognize the voice of God, recognize the will of God, recognize the path of God, recognize the plan of God for their life. And so they live in this little spiritual paralysis where they have this amazing heart that wants to serve him and follow him and live for him and give their lives for him, but at the same time, they're so intimidated by what they don't know that they do nothing. So look at the next verse. So solid food, verse 14, is for those who are mature, who through training, and I put in parentheses, exercise or use. Training, which is exercise or use, have the skill, look at this, through exercise or use, through training, through obedience, through practicing and putting into practice what you know, look what it says, you now have the skill to recognize the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Obedience produces discernment. The only way for you to begin to discern the voice of God for your life is you've got to begin to step out in faith on what you already know to be true. And every time you step out in faith, in obedience to what he's already told you, what you know to be true, you step into a greater place of discernment. Because maturity, I want you to hear me, maturity is not the ability to never make a mistake. Anybody in here over 30 years old? Anybody in here over 30 years old still making some mistakes every now and then? We'll raise both hands. 
Maturity, maturity is not, is not the ability to never make a mistake. Maturity is the ability and the willingness to step out in faith based on what you believe and what you know to be true. And let me just say, we ought to just start right here. Right? Just, just, you start to start. You ought to just start obeying what you know God says is already true because the Holy Spirit, and then we say this, right? I, Curtis is a small group. I wish I had a piece of lead to give to everybody, right, Curtis? Right? You don't have to feel led to do what he's already said. You don't have to feel led by the Holy Spirit to do what he's already said. Think about it like this. If you go to the doctor and he writes you a prescription on the prescription, it says take three times a day. Once he writes you the prescription, how many know the doctor does not call you three times a day and say, hey, I just want to remind you to take your medicine? No, he doesn't call you because he's already told you what to do. He don't have to lead you to do what he's already told you to do. And so... If you want to walk in a new level of maturity, if you want to grow strong in your faith and in the truth of Jesus Christ, and you want to come to a place of greater discernment so you can know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, it all starts with simple obedience. I've got to continue to follow him. So every day I've got to be willing to take a step of faith into the obedience, into the knowledge of the truth that I already have. Now, last week, we just finished up our financial series, and I can't tell you how many people I had come up to me and say, Pastor Keith, thank you. That was just for me. I really needed it. That was so powerful. That was so wonderful. That was exactly right on time, just in time, just where my family was, just where my life was, just where I'm at. And you heard all that last Sunday after we took up the offering. And today you come to church, and we pass the bucket. It was exciting to get excited about tithes and offerings when there wasn't a tither offering to give last week. But this week you walked in. And how do I grow in discernment? How do I grow in the knowledge of the faith? How do I continue to follow Christ? This is how I continue to follow Christ. I step out in faith based on what I do know. I step out in faith based on what I do know. And if I start stepping out in faith based on what I do know to be true, then guess what will happen? I'll begin to get a greater revelation of what he wants me to do. And I will begin to develop a skill, the Bible calls it, spiritual discernment. There's a gift of discernment, but all of us have the ability to develop discernment through, let me just say it like this, trial and error. Because sometimes you're going to step out in faith, believe in God, and you're going to fall flat on your face and break your nose. And it's going to hurt really bad. But if you're mature... You'll get back up, go to the doctor, get your nose fixed, and then, and then you will learn from that experience. You'll take notes on what was and what was not God, and then you'll step out again. And you'll step out again, because unless you continue to follow him, Unless you continue to step out in faith, unless you continue to practice the truths that you do know, you'll never walk in a greater level of discernment to know what is right or what is wrong. And so the key to opening up a new level of discernment in our lives is obedience right now in what we know. I'm convinced that most of us know enough truth probably to get us through for the next 5, 10, 15 years. If you just started walking every day in what you do know to be true, Man, just think about the opportunities it would create in your life 
to grow in your faith and to grow strong in the truth that you already know. Because every time you step out and you fail, well, you get up and you got to dust yourself off and you got to go again. But every time you step out in faith and all of a sudden God shows up. Let me know he shows up. All of a sudden it builds a new confidence in you and you are able then to discern the voice of God because one of the greatest things, one of the, one of the greatest challenges we all face is discerning between God's voice and my voice. Right? Because sometimes I think I sound like God. In my head anyway, I'm like, yeah, that's God. That's got to be God. And then I tell my wife, she's like, that ain't God. So if we're going to grow strong in our faith and we're going to grow strong in the truth that we have already been taught through Christ, we have to follow him, which is daily obedience. And daily obedience produces greater discernment so that we can rightly know what we're supposed to do. Here's the challenge. Don't ever stop following. When you fall down, get up. See, the only thing worse than falling down and breaking your nose is never having enough faith or courage to step out there anyway. That's worse than breaking your nose. Because God has called us to follow him. And the way we grow strong in our faith and the way we grow strong in the truth that he has already taught us is we obey him. We follow him. The second thing, look what he says, or the third thing. He says, and let your roots grow into him. Grow roots into him. Intimacy produces maturity. We've got to let our roots grow down into him. This is cultivating your intimate relationship with God. This is your quiet time. This is your prayer time. This is your worship time. This is your soaking time, as Brother Rod talked to us a little bit last, last service. Just soaking the presence of the Lord, being still in God's presence, getting alone with God. It is your personal intimate time with the Lord. And I just want to say to you, there is no substitute for your intimate relationship with God. All of the ministry in the world without intimacy is empty. All the ministry in the world without intimacy with God is empty. And it will rob you of the things God intended his spirit to bring to you. Amen? So let me give you a couple thoughts and we're going to read a scripture together. I want you to say this. It is impossible, it is impossible for me and you to be dramatically influenced by somebody we barely know. It's impossible for you to be dramatically influenced by someone you barely know. When you think about the most influential people in your life, they are people that have probably come up close. They've invested in you. They've spoken truth to you. They've prayed with you. They've walked with you through the hard times and the bad times and the good times and the glorious times. And they're the people that have drawn near to you. And so if we're going to be impacted and influenced by Christ, we've got to cultivate an intimate relationship with him. We've got to grow down roots deep in Christ. Now let me give you a great scripture. Paul again, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11 and 12. He says, and God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. God chose me. Let me just say, he's chosen you today. He's chosen you. He's called you. He's gifted you. Every person in this room has been called by God. You have been called. You have been chosen. You have been anointed. And there is a gift and a calling on your life. And the Bible makes an amazing statement. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And if y'all remember what the word repentance means, to repent means to change your mind. So the gifts and callings of God don't change. And let me tell you why they don't change. Because God never changes his mind about you. 
God never changes his mind about you. Now, let me just say, let's just be really honest. We change our minds about people. Right? You can be praying for somebody and believing for the best and believing for their salvation, believing for their deliverance, believing for their restoration, believing for all these good things, and then they really frustrate you. And you say, well, I don't guess you're ever going to become anything, and I guess you're never going to amount to anything, and I guess nothing good's ever going to come out of your life. Now, I know none of y'all are that unholy to do those things, but sometimes I've heard of people thinking thoughts like that. Right? We change our minds about people. Let's be honest. We change our minds about people. Let me tell you what God never does. He never changes his mind about you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God's call on your life is for your life. Now, you can abort it, you can abandon it, you can rebel against it, or you can pursue it. And you know what? Every time we sin and come short of the glory of God, I mean, you know what? Sometimes we create these detours. Anybody going to Huntsville know what a detour is? Come on, somebody. We create detours sometimes, sin, rebellion, all these little things, they detour, the, they, they put us on a detour path, but here's the good news. It might take you an extra 15 minutes, an extra 30 minutes, an extra hour. It might take you five more years or 10 more years, but if you'll stay the course right where you're at and you'll put your heart back into following him and you'll put your roots deep, 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 deep down into him, God will reconnect you to the place he called you to. And it may take time, but it'll be worth it, Amen. Because God has called you. But look at that next verse, because this is huge. He says, he says, God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, teacher of this good news, and that is why I am suffering here in prison. He said, I'm doing what God called me to do, and that's why I'm suffering. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do, and I'm in prison. I'm living the life God has called me to live, and it has produced hardship. It has produced trouble. It has produced trial. It has produced tribulation. And God, I was doing everything you told me to do. Why am I in prison? Why am I suffering hardship? Why am I now no longer to live the life that I feel like I've been called to live? And I want you to see this because you need to understand something. You need to understand that it's not your life. And sometimes you're going to do exactly what God wants you to do, and it's going to be hard. Let me encourage you. Sometimes you're going to do what God wants you to do, and it's going to be really hard. Let me encourage you some more. Sometimes you're going to do everything God wants you to do, and it's going to be so difficult, you don't think you can make it one more day. And you're going to be right smack dab in the will of God. You're going to be right where God... See, we have this crazy idea... That if I do what God wants me to do, everything will be easy. Well, you forgot about a couple things. Number one, you forgot about you're living in a war, in a world that is at war with God. You have flesh that still wants to get in the way, and there's a real devil that hates you. We are living in a battlefield. And you need to understand that when you're doing what God wants you to do, it doesn't mean there won't be struggles. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult. It doesn't mean you won't end up in prison doing the very thing God called you to do. But I want you to see the rest of the verse because this is huge. Look what he says. He says, and that, I, that is why I'm suffering here in prison, and I am, but I am not ashamed of it. This is huge. But I am not ashamed of it. He says, I was doing what God wanted me to do, and now I found myself in a horrible place, but I'm not ashamed. I, I want to I elaborate on that. I'm not discouraged. I'm not frustrated. I'm not mad at God. I'm doing what God wants me to do, and now I'm in prison suffering for doing the very thing God called me to do, but I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not discouraged by it. I'm not frustrated by it, and I'm not mad at God. 
How many of you understand one of the greatest signs of maturity, one of the greatest signs of maturity is that you do the right thing even when it's hard? See, one of the greatest signs of immaturity is that when it gets hard, immature people quit. It gets hard on their job, they quit their job. Gets hard in their marriage, they quit their marriage. Gets hard in the family, they quit the family. Gets hard in the church, they quit the church. And we have this crazy, well, you know, I just thought if I was doing what God wanted me to do, it'd all be easy. Who told you that? The devil? It ain't easy. Now, there is joy, and there is peace, and there is victory, and there is deliverance, and there is triumph, and there's no better life to live. Hear me. There's no better life to live than the life that God has called you to live. But understand, doing what God has called you to do does not exempt you, exempt you from tribulation and persecution because we're living in a world at war with God. And then Paul says, but I'm not ashamed, and then he tells us why. This is huge. He says, I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trusted. King James says, I know the one in whom I have believed. Paul said, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm suffering because of it. But I'm not ashamed, I'm not discouraged, and I'm not mad at God. Why? Because I know the one in whom I have believed. Let me just tell you how important intimacy is with God. Growing your roots deep down in Him. It is that intimate relationship with the Lord that will sustain you through the storms. See, if you don't know the one in whom you believed, then you'll think He's abandoned you. And if you don't know the one in whom you believe, you'll think He's forgotten you. And if you don't know the one in whom you have believed, you think He's walked out on you. But if you know the one in whom you believe, you know that he's a good, good father even when life stinks. And you know he is faithful and he is a provider even when you don't have enough money to pay the bills. And it's knowing him. It is knowing him that sustains us. Kelly and I... Went through a challenging time. Many of you know she went through a 10-year battle of severe depression. And one day I'd had enough. Y'all ever had enough? I was working at Walmart Distribution. I was pastoring a church, and I was trying to love my wife, and we were in the middle of a battle, and it was hard. And it had been hard for a while. And I got my paycheck on Friday. I don't know. It was probably a whopping $250. It was huge. I was rolling in the money. Had my little 1972 Ford Maverick. And I went to the bank right there and I cashed my check. And I thought, I'm done. And I left Walmart Distribution and left the bank. And I jumped up out on the interstate and I started driving north. And I thought, I'm just going to drive until I can't drive no more. I'm going to just go start all over. I can't handle it anymore, God. I got three exits. Three. And the Lord said, Keith, where are you going? I said, I don't know, but not here. He said, well, when you get there, I'm going to be there waiting on you. Then what are you going to do? You can leave your wife, but you can't leave me, and I ain't going nowhere. You can walk away from everything, but I'm still going to be here. And I got off on that third little exit, and I turned my little car around, and I drove my little 72 Maverick back home. And about five years later, when I got the courage, I told Kelly what I did. 
if you don't know him, when it gets hard, you'll quit. If you don't drive your roots deep, 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 deep down into him, you'll walk away. I'm just, so, just going to tell you today, I'm so glad I'm here today. I'm so glad we're going on 30 years of marriage. I'm so glad that out of that, Liberty Church got birthed 21 years ago. I'm so glad that we didn't abort the plan of God. And I can tell you one thing today, hands down, it was that relationship with God that sustained me. And it was Kelly's relationship with God that sustained her. Look at that next point. He says, not only do we need to be rooted in him, but we need to build our lives in him. We need to build our lives on him. He said, build your lives on him. And I want you to see this. Honor produces culture. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. So when we honor Jesus, I want you to think about this. If we're going to build our lives on him, again, our lives is, is your everyday it's your family, it's your job, it's your relationships, it's your thoughts, it's your emotions, your life. If you're going to build your life on him, you're going to have to honor him. Because it's honor that produces culture. And if you don't honor him, the word honor literally means to hold in high esteem, to place a value upon. Here's what has to happen. If you're going to build your life on Christ, you're going to have to value Christ and his word above everything else. You're going to have to value Christ and his word above everything else. And when you begin to honor God and honor his word as the final authority in your life, all of a sudden you'll start making decisions and choices that are established upon the truth of who Jesus is instead of upon the culture of a world. Kelly and I made a decision years ago. Uh, we said if we ever have a disagreement, and we can't come to a conclusion. We're just going to kind of separate, and we're going to pray about it and seek the Lord. And then we're going to come back and decide, what did God say? Well, then we said, well, what if we disagree, separate, pray about it, and I get a revelation from the Lord, and she gets a revelation from the Lord, and we can't get our revelations to agree. <laughs> then what are we going to do? Well, then we said, we're going to call Brother Rod. And whatever he says will be the final word. We've called him once. I believe one time. We've called him a couple times for counsel, but we called him one time when we were at the end of the road. Not relationally, but we had a decision. And we didn't know what to do. When you honor the word of God above your opinion, above your feelings, above the culture of this world, then all of a sudden you begin to create a culture. You begin to create a culture in your home and in your family that establishes itself upon the, root, the, the truth of Jesus Christ. And before you know it, you're building your family, you're building your finances, you're building your business, you're building your relationships, you're building your ministry on the truth of Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, if you listen to me and you obey me and you follow me, then your life will be built on a rock. And when the winds and the waves and the storms come, you'll stand. You'll stand. Your marriage will stand, your ministry will stand, your relationships will stand, your finances will stand, you will stand. You'll come out on the other side weathered, but you'll come out on the other side with victory. And so we have to come to a place of honor. That's really what it's all about. What are you going to value more? See, I look at the world, and if you follow the culture of the world, you recognize every couple of years it changes, right? 
What was right a few years ago is no longer right. What was wrong a few years ago is no longer wrong. I mean, the culture of our world changes based on social media. (laughs) And so I recognized a long time ago, I can't follow the culture of the world because they can't make up their mind. And I'm going to be honest with you, my greatest challenge is not the conflict between the Word of God and culture. My greatest challenge is the conflict between the Word of God and my opinion. And the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. The conflict that most of us are facing on a daily basis is because we have not elevated Jesus Christ and His Word above everything else. And as long as God's Word and my opinion are on the same level, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. As long as God's Word and your opinion are on the same level, I'm in trouble. And so, somewhere along the line, if I'm going to build my life on Christ, I've got to elevate His Word and His truth above my life. Even when I don't feel it. Even when I don't like it. Even when I don't agree with it. And so, God is calling us to grow strong. He said, grow strong. Number one, accept Jesus as Lord. Recognize His ownership. Grow strong. Continue to follow me. Continue to follow me. Obedience produces discernment. Grow strong. Put your roots deep down in me. Intimacy produces maturity. Grow strong. Build your life on me. Honor my word above your opinion, and you'll create a culture that establishes itself on the truth of Jesus Christ. And then he closes with this last statement. Look at it on your outline. He says, and when we do these things, our faith will grow strong in truth. And we will overflow with thankfulness. See, the, the reality is when you really begin to grow strong and you begin to do these things, you'll become thankful. I'm so thankful for the Word of God. I'm so thankful for an intimate relationship with the Lord. I'm so thankful that He sustains us and keeps us. And if we do these things, we will grow strong in the faith and we will grow strong in the truth that God has given us, and we will overflow with thanksgiving. So I want to just challenge you today. Let's just bow our heads this morning. I want to challenge you if you're a Christian here today, and you know you're saved, you know you're going to heaven, you've been born again, Jesus is Lord of your life. I want to ask you of these four things right here that we talked about today, is there one area of your life that maybe you need to work on? Maybe it's daily obedience. Maybe it's that daily intimacy. Maybe it's that honoring God and His Word over your life or your opinion. I want to just challenge you today to maybe just put a finger on that thing today. Just put a finger on it say, God, right now I'm going to commit this area right now. I want to grow strong, God. I want to grow strong in my faith. I want to grow strong in the truth that you have given us. And Lord, I recognize, Lord, right here is a, right here is a beginning point for me. Maybe it's not everything, but God, this is where I want to start. And so I'm going to commit myself today to do that. I want to challenge you right now just to make that decision with the Lord. God, today I'm going to commit myself to this one thing right here. This is my starting point. And I'm going to begin to focus in on this one area because I want to grow strong. I want to grow strong in my faith, and I want to grow strong in the truth that you've given to us. The second thing I want to do with every head bowed, every eye closed, is maybe you're here this morning and you realize that you've never truly given God your life. 
you've never really recognized and given him ownership of who you are. Maybe you wanted the gift, but you didn't realize that in order to receive the gift, you got to be willing to give God your life. It's an exchange. And we don't earn it, and we don't work for it. But it's a gift from God that we have to receive. And when he paid for your sins, he purchased your life. And he's a good father. And everybody is owned by somebody. And if you're not serving God, then you're a slave of sin. And your end, the Bible says, will be destruction. But if you're here today and say, today, I believe in my heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for my sins, and I want to confess him as my Lord. If that's you, I want you just to stand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a simple act of faith. Just stand to your feet. Today, I want to confess Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I want him to be my Lord. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. This is your moment. Just go ahead and stand up. A simple act of faith. A simple act of faith. Right now, people are starting to stand. Right now, as you stand, just remain standing for a minute. Our ushers are going to come. They're going to put a little packet in your hand, and we're going to pray together in just a minute. But if you're here this morning, and you cannot honestly say, Jesus is Lord of my life, then right now, I want you to stand to your feet. I want Jesus today to be the Lord of my life. I believe He paid for my sins, but I want Him to be Lord of my life. As people continue to stand, this is your moment. This is your moment. Because if you accept His death and give Him your life, you'll never be the same. Anyone else, before we pray, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord. I've never really done that. Maybe I prayed a prayer, but I've never really gave God my life. And I realize today that lordship is ownership. And I want Jesus to be Lord of all. If that's you, you stand. We're about to pray. We're about to pray right now. For those of you that are standing, this prayer is for you. I want you to repeat it after me. And I'm going to ask everybody here just to say it with me. Very simple prayer. Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day to pay the penalty for my sin and to purchase my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord of my life. I give you complete and total ownership. I am yours and you are mine. I receive the gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And I ask it today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.